Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. How many are thankful that the grave is still empty? Amen? You believe that this morning, that the grave is still empty, that the God of all love and power has come to rescue and redeem all of mankind. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to look this morning, wrapping this up of uh, our journey, looking at relationships and how vital relationships are. Uh, relationships are the most important resource that you and I have, more valuable than, than finances, more valuable than, than property. It's relationships. Relationships give way to, uh, to great things, but you recognize as well, not only can good relationships help us to receive things, but also you'll never really enjoy things without having good relationships. That if you have all the resources that you can have, but you don't have good relationships, how many know that you're not able to fully enjoy what you have because your relationships are strained and the relationships are struggling? We've talked about uh, dealing with offense. We've looked at not causing offense. And, and our goal is this, that if we live intentional, it will help us to eliminate incidentals. That the friendly fire, that our lives would not be affected by friendly fire and separated in relationships, but even in moments that we can learn how to work together, and even in times of what feels like friendly fire can actually cause even greater things to come about in our lives. I want to look in Luke chapter 23, and, and uh, as, we, as we wrap this up today, talking about the importance of relationships being in their proper place. Do you know that not every relationship is the same? Your relationship with your enemy is different than your relationship with your friend. Now, Jesus tells us how to love our enemy. He tells us that we should love our enemy. But we're to love, and, and every single person has a point in our life. Everyone has a place in our life, but not everybody has the same place in our life. Everybody has a place in our life, but not everybody has the same place in our life. From enemies to those that, from everything from, from enemy to lover to everything in between, that they have a place, and all of those things together, God is using to help us grow and to become more like Him. But the important thing is knowing what place these relationships belong in. And so I want to look today in uh, Luke 23. There's, uh, Luke is giving his rendition, his story of Jesus being arrested. Uh, one of the Gospels that speaks of the events and life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course. But Luke gives some details that are, that are unique. And when you put them all together, you see the big picture and see even more. But Luke tells about the, the event that Jesus being arrested and turned over to be, to be sentenced to death. And Luke speaks specifically about a relationship that takes place during this time. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. Talk about having a friend. Some of you know what it's like to have a friend that might betray in, in a moment, in a time. And Jesus, of course, was kissed by Judas. And, and, and Jesus turned over to the council, to the soldiers there of the, of the Jewish council. And they take him before them. They, of course, look at him and they say, he is blaspheming God. The problem is that they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. But he is blaspheming God, but he's not cursing God. That you can blaspheme God, but the death that requires, uh, or the, the sentencing that requires death is that when you curse God. Jesus hadn't done that. They're trying to find the technicality because they want to do whatever they can to get rid of Jesus. And so they said, let's let Pilate do our dirty work. We're not supposed to kill during the Passover, so let's let Pilate do the dirty work. They send him to Pilate. Pilate examines him. The powerful thing here is that Pilate 
Pilate examines him and finds him to be innocent or without blemish, just like the lamb going before the priest that they're identifying, and they cannot find anything wrong with him. Jesus, of course, is not found anything wrong. He says, Pilate says he's innocent, but in the conversation, Pilate learns that Jesus is from Galilee, that the area that he's from, and Pilate says, wait a minute, we've got Herod, who's been appointed king. He's over the Jewish people, and so Herod the king can take care of this. Send him to Herod. Now, Luke is the only one that gives us this perspective or gives us this picture. Jesus is taken to Herod, and this is where we pick it up in chapter 23. Would you stand with me today as we look at verse 8, and just reading a couple verses here. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. Do you notice that Herod wants to see the Jesus that he wants to see? How many know today that we still, some of us, and sometimes we're stuck looking for the Jesus we want to see? Jesus, do a miracle, Jesus. Do, a, do something good, Jesus. Do this kind of thing, Jesus. We want you to be the Jesus that we want. But Herod doesn't want anything that Jesus has to say. How do we know that? Because Herod already killed John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. And how many know Jesus was just going to continue the message that John the Baptist was preaching, that the Messiah has come, and Jesus was saying, I'm making it even more personal. Not only did John the Baptist say the Messiah is coming, but Jesus shows up and says, I am the one who he spoke about. Herod didn't want anything to do with Jesus' message. He just wanted Jesus to perform a miracle. How many know sometimes we can still be the same way, that we love everything about Jesus, but we don't really love Jesus. We love everything about him. We love the good ideas. We love the good words. We even love the worship. We love the music about Jesus. We love the stuff about Jesus. We even love going to church about Jesus. But sometimes we can love all the stuff about Jesus and not really be in love with Jesus. How many would say that's a dangerous place to be? That we can love everything about him. This is Herod. Do a miracle, Jesus. Of course, he wanted to see Jesus do a miracle. Verse 9, he asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. As Herod is listening and trying to get Jesus to say what's going on, asking him questions, Jesus is not saying a word. But the, the count, those who are of the Jewish council and the priests, they're saying that their accusations against him, why he should die. Herod then, verse 11, then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. I want you to hear verse 12. This is where I want to focus on today. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before that day, became friends. On that day, Herod and Pilate, who were enemies, on that day became friends. Would you just one last time as we wrap this series up, just find somebody you came to church with, put your arm around them and just tell them, I got you, I got you, I got you. God has given us relationships. May we be healthy in our relationships. Father, I thank you for the gift of relationships in this room, and I thank you for those that you have put in our lives. God, you've given us one another to help us grow in you, and I pray today that as we look at your word together, let us be challenged, let us be changed, and let our relationships become even more healthy. We ask this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that today, would you just say amen? amen. And you may be seated, the other half of you. <laughs> I like how the people in the back waited for the moment, even though the people up front are like, we're out of here. <laughs> I don't care how funny it sounds or even how good it looks on a t-shirt, but 
there is no such thing as fun in dysfunctional. I know that some might say, I put the fun in dysfunctional. How absurd. Anything that's dysfunctional means it's not operating properly. And I don't know about you, if it's not operating properly, that's not fun. That's stressful. Some of our relationships have adapted to just a stressful state. We've allowed stress and strain. And if we don't handle the stress and strain properly, our relationships that are dysfunctional become overwhelmed. And then in some cases, some have given up and left the relationship. Some have said, I'm giving up. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't have what it takes. Have you ever felt the pressure sometimes of relationships and things that, take, that go on and the difficulty that they might bring? I want to share from this title this morning, Functional Disorder. Functional disorder. This is something that is a functional disorder means that it operates on the outside. On the outside, everything looks good. But on the inside, it's not producing as well as it could. On the outside, it looks good. On the outside, it looks like everything's functioning and everything's proper. But on the inside, it's not producing everything that it could produce. It's not accomplishing all that it could accomplish and being effective or as effective as it could be. It looks good on the outside. When we neglect to live intentional, it keeps us from reaching our full potential. When we neglect from living intentional, and here's what I want to look at intentional, is that every relationship has its rightful place in our lives, that it's doing the right thing and accomplishing what God wants it to accomplish in our life. I want to say this again, that there's a place for every relationship in your life, but not every relationship should have the same place in your life. There's a place for every relationship in your life, but not every relationship should have the same place in your life. Not every relationship is the same. Here's the question I want to operate from today, and that is this. Are your relationships bringing the best out of you or keeping you comfortable with the dysfunctional that's inside of you? Are your relationships bringing the best out of you or keeping you comfortable with the dysfunctional that's going on inside of your life? I don't know about you. But I like people who don't tell me that I need to change. I like people who allow me to feel comfortable in staying the way that I am sometimes. You might be here today and you say, well, Jason, that's not true. I like to be challenged. I'm the kind of person that likes to be challenged. You might be a competitive type and you're up for the challenge. You like the challenge. There's some people in the room, you love challenge and you'll rise to it. And then there's other people in the room, you'd rather pass on a challenge and get someone else to do it for you. I don't know who you are. If you like a challenge, you like a lot of challenge, you like a little challenge. But here's one thing that I think goes across the board for every one of us when it comes to being challenged. We only like to be challenged in the things that match our desires and interests. We only like to be challenged in the things that match our desires and our interests. Are you listening to me this morning? Because here's the challenge of this. I can tell you without a doubt, I love being challenged in structural leadership and leadership development. It's an area that I enjoy. I love reading books on leadership. I love reading books on on organizational things, putting things together and and proper flow. and, And I love those things. I love being challenged on leadership development. I hate being challenged with your planet fitness, go every time, eat healthy kind of stuff. I don't like that kind of challenge. You can challenge me all day and we'll talk about how leadership should develop and how relationships. I love talking about relationships. One of my favorite things to talk about is marriage counseling. 
I love sitting down with couples and talking about marriage. You know why? Because marriage to me is one of those things that I've, I so enjoy and I've seen so many couples so many times. It's like just small tweaks can make a big difference. I love talking about relationship development. I love talking about how we interact. I love that stuff. I'll read books on it. We'll talk about it. And we can have a lot in common. But if you want to talk about being healthy and eating right things and going to the gym, uh, you know what I'll tend to do with those people? I'll tend to say things like, well, I'm really involved in the stuff that's more important than what they're in. You see, what we do is we build our own value system according to what interests us and doesn't interest us. We develop our own value system. I have determined in my life it is valuable. Now I realize I'm a preacher. I'm also a preaching, uh, uh, a, a sermon junkie. I listen to probably on average or, or at, on average at least three or four sermons a week. Now you think, how do you have time for that? I run a mile a day and it takes me so long I can listen to a whole sermon in just one mile. <laughs> I love listening to preaching. I can talk about preaching. I can talk about the word of God. I love that. Now, that sounds so spiritual because it's valuable to be in the word of God. I love the word of God. I can talk about it. It interests me. But then there are other things. If you want to talk about technical stuff, go see Nate. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about just the, the stuff of, of, of how things operate and work. You know, I'll be around some guys, and they're talking about, it's even guys, some, some of the guys in our office will be driving somewhere together, and someone will be like, oh, man, look at that car. And I'm like, yep, it's got four wheels and a hood. What's the big deal, man? And they're all talking about what kind of engine is under that. I'm like, have your conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't interest me. It doesn't, it's not anything that draws anything from me. And you know what it's like. You have built your life upon your own value system. You have determined what is valuable. And you know what you've done in the process? You've determined that you like hanging out with people who have the same value system as you. You see, just as much as I need to be challenged, and what I'll do is I'll give, I'll rate things in my life. I'll rate that this is valuable. It needs attention, so I should attend to this. And then I'll rate things that it's not that important. And the problem, though, is I allow myself to be the one who assesses value to it. When the balance or what's off with that is that I must let Christ be the one who assesses value and puts value to what ought to be important. Because even the stuff that I think is important, it's important to me and it's probably important to some other people that I hang around. If you're in a workplace and you all work together, you like the work that you do, you get along with the people you work with, that's all you talk about, it's what you do, your life centers around that, it's all good, it's all great. And according to you, that's a really good, you have a good relationship, and it's all valuable, it's all important. But your relationship is all built on what you do together, that when you remove that, you don't know how to have a real relationship. It's all built on what you do and, and what, what you, how, you, how you make something operate and something function. And here's what I've found, is that we would tend to hang out or rather hang out with the people who have the same value system as us, and we would rather discredit the people who don't have the same value system as us. Which means, if you challenge me in an area that I don't want to be challenged, I'll probably mock your value system. And by mocking your value system, convince myself that my things are more important than your things. And I like leadership stuff, and you like fitness. And I can say, well, that's not as important as what I have. But how many know that if I don't take care of myself, there's a value. Here's my point. We tend to like to only hang around the people who make us feel comfortable where we feel comfortable. But we don't like always hanging around the people who 
who challenge us to change where we need to change. Oh, don't look at me so innocent. We've given some value to relationships that really should not have the same level of importance as we've given. And we've allowed some things to set place that we've given some other value and our value system needs to be adjusted. We gravitate to the people who make us feel comfortable and have the same value system as us. But there's an area where we sometimes have to let ourselves be challenged. Here is Herod. You want to know the irony now that Herod is standing in front of Jesus? The fake king is standing in front of the real king. This is the irony. The fake king, who is the king of the Jewish people, is standing in front of the real king. Do you know what happens when the fake one stand in front of the real one? It makes the fake one feel really uncomfortable. The fake one feels really uncomfortable. And let me tell you why he was fake. He was, Herod was a fake king because he was not appointed or not put in proper place. He wasn't from a line of a king. He wasn't even anointed by the priest. He was appointed and placed there by the emperor of Rome. How many would think that the emperor of Rome is probably not who the Jewish people want picking their king? This isn't the guy that they wanted. They got stuck there. Here it is that Herod Antipas got put in the place, not even in a rightful order, not even in a proper way, not even according to the Jewish culture and the custom. It wasn't even his rightful place. And so the fake king is standing in front of the real king. And when the fake king is standing in front of the real king, it makes the fake king feel uncomfortable. And how does the fake king handle when he feels uncomfortable? What he does, listen what he does. The Bible says he began to mock Jesus. Do you know how I take care of people who talk about healthy stuff and eating healthy things and doing stuff? I usually things like I say things like, I can't believe they'd waste that much time going to the gym and doing all the stuff they do. I've got more important things to do. I begin to discredit what they're doing because I don't want to feel challenged by that. So if I can discredit or mock, it makes me feel justified in staying where I am. If I can discredit what's going on. And here's what he begins to do. He begins to mock that Jesus is the king, of, the king of the Jews. What do you do when you're uncomfortable? You ever been around somebody who had that uncomfortable laugh? It's like, ah, ah, this is funny. I don't know what else to do. I'm laughing just because I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable in this moment. I don't really know how to respond to it. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. The next thing that he does when, you, when, you, when the fake person's standing in front of the real person. Have you ever been in front of somebody that's really challenging you to look in the mirror and deal with some stuff that's going on? You ever been around somebody like that? I know what we'll tend to do is say, well, I don't know who they think they are. We can try to discredit. But here's what Herod ultimately does. Verse 12. On that day, when Pilate and Herod had been enemies before, that day, they became friends. He became friends with Pilate because when you really don't want to confront something, you just make sure your circle makes you feel comfortable so you don't have to deal with what's uncomfortable. That we would rather be around people sometimes who make us feel comfortable in our dysfunction, comfortable in our dysfunction than to have to deal with and confront and change. Here it is, Herod is standing in front of Jesus, and Herod the fake king standing in front of the real king. Here's what Romans tells us. This is a word that Paul gives us in Romans. 
He said, don't just pretend to love others. Do you really believe Herod and Pilate had a thing going on? On the surface they did, but deep, deep down inside they were just using each other. Sometimes our relationships, listen, when we don't allow relationships to get real, we're just using them. I just want people around me who can always build me up and make me feel good. I just want people around me who can always tell me how good I am at what I do, how much I, they appreciate me, how much I don't have to work towards it, that I just want it to be natural, just easy. And what you mean by natural and easy is the people who think relationships don't take work are the people it's not natural and easy, I just don't want them to be real. Stop and think about that for a moment. If you believe relationships and deepening relationships should just happen naturally, don't fool yourself. That's not a deepened relationship. That's a relationship that just would settle for not being real. Paul says these words. Listen to what he says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really love them. Don't just pretend to love them. Really love them. Here's what unconditional love is. Unconditional love is when sometimes you're hard to love, I'm still going to love you anyway. Because when I love you, even though you're hard, that's when I'm learning to be like Jesus because that's what he did. You see, it's supposed to push me to become more like Christ. It's to move me to become more like he's called me to be. He said, don't just pretend. Listen to what he says. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Make sure your value system's in the right place. Hate what is good, hate what is, hate what is wrong and love what is good. Make sure you're in the rightful place. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring, honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now listen, you might be here today and you say, I'm not lazy. I go to the gym all the time. I'm not lazy. I read my Bible every day. Whee, hallelujah, praise the Lord. The question is, not what do you do and what area are you challenged in, but are you challenged and allowing everything that you do to be done for an enthusiastic desire to serve Jesus Christ? Is it causing you to become closer to Jesus? Is your relationship making you more like Jesus? If not, you've got to add some intentional marks and points to your relationship. The danger is when we just let life happen. When it just happens around us. Do you know that anything left to itself usually defeats itself? When it's just left to itself, it becomes, meaning whenever we just let it take care of itself, just do whatever it's supposed to do. You've got to give some, some attention and development and nurturing that are relationships needing to be in a healthy place. I want to tell you why this is important. Because your relationships, every relationship that we have should cause us to become closer to Christ. Listen what some words that Jesus gives us that of some warnings in the last days. Here's a warning. Jesus says this in the last days, or a point will come. There'll be a time that'll come when people will fall away from serving Jesus Christ. The Bible says that many will fall away from God. That there'll be a day. That shakes me. Isaiah said this, that there'll be a point in time and a day. Isaiah said, when the good will be called evil, and evil will be called good. Now, if you wonder where we are today, we are in the day where good is called evil and evil is called good. Can I tell you why I know that? I know that because we give a lot of energy and a lot of work to all the stuff that makes us look good, but we don't put effort into things that cause us to have good relationship. Just tell you, for instance, we will learn and train how to do whatever job we need to do, but ask how many couples they've gone to marriage counseling. 
And I know some of you might be here today and say, well, we never needed marriage counseling. Who are you fooling? Why is it that counseling is called, and by the way, who's attributed to being the counselor? The Holy Spirit. Why do we think counseling is needed when the problem gets bad? Because that might be your problem in the first place. That I only need the Holy Spirit who is the counselor when something gets bad. I only need the counselor when something goes wrong. And if you think that counseling is meant to only be at a place when things fall apart, that's not the purpose of counseling. Because the ultimate counselor, who is the Holy Spirit, came that he might not just fix us when we have a problem, but might help us to walk in such a way that we won't cause a problem, that we can walk according to the presence of God, keeping in step with the Spirit, that we can walk according to what his will and his purpose is for our life. If you would get some counseling, you'd probably rise above some things that keep knocking you down. If you would allow some godly influence and, and, and the Spirit of God. Now listen, I'm not talking worldly counsel. I'm talking about biblical counsel that comes from the Word of God. And sometimes if you're sitting with a good counselor, he or she will make you look at the Word of God and then look at yourself and say, so how are you doing? How are you lining up? How is it that you're doing? Worldly counsel will be, well, you know, it's everybody else's fault. You can't help it. You brought up that way. You can't help it. You had all this bad stuff in your life. You can't help it. You've been treated bad. You can't help it. You got all this. You can't help it. You can't help it. Holy Spirit and godly counsel says, you can't, but I can. You don't have what it takes, but I do. You're not able to overcome this in yourself, but I can raise you up. I can give you strength. I can cause you to rise above whatever those things that are going on in your life. But too often we'll settle for just being comfortable in our dysfunctional. That we'd rather just have functional disorder. Looks good on the outside. But I don't really want it to get real on the inside. I don't really want it to get to a place of dealing with the essentials and the stuff that really matters. I want you to know today, you better have relationships in your life that help you get to the essentials that really matter. Not every relationship is the same. Every relationship has a place, but not every relationship has the same place. That there need to be people who help us in our lives. And when Jesus is saying in the last days that some will fall away, when Isaiah says good will be called evil and evil will be called good, can I tell you what will keep me in a proper place? Number one, it's, it's relationship. Number one, my relationship with Jesus Christ. And number two, my relationship with other people who are in the body of Christ. Now, I didn't say isolated to them because if you live in a Jesus bubble, you're missing it. And what I mean by a Jesus bubble is I only rub shoulders with Jesus people. We only talk about Jesus. We only, we only say these things. And I've never hung around a sinner. Oh, my goodness, why would I go around sinners? Uh, Jesus did. This Jesus that you're serving and worshiping did so himself. Jesus went into places. And, and I'm telling, I'm, what I'm saying is it's not that we isolate ourselves, but you better make sure that the key people and relationships that are in our lives, that we give them the proper place and the proper, proper area and the proper position in our life. Not every relationship is the same. Let me, let me tell you this. Listen to this. The unhealth of relationship is when we invest more of us in the places that require less of us. I want, to, I want you to catch this this morning. The unhealth of relationships is when we, when we invest more of us in places that require less of us. Here's what I mean by that. A workaholic. A workaholic is developed because they invest themselves in places where someone else could do that. And neglect the place where only they can do. We've got a team here at Faith Assembly. And as we develop a team and pastors and individuals that serve the team, we have said this. If we're doing what someone else can do, then we're probably not doing what we're supposed to do. 
the effectiveness and the full potential. Listen, we're talking about not just functional disorder. We're talking about reaching a full potential. Here's how full potential happens in our lives, and we produce the more, is whenever I do what only I can do and let someone else do what I what they can do. Here's what, I, here's what I mean. And we have this in our team. That everybody has a place. And you might be able to do that, but just because you're able to do that doesn't mean you're the one who should do that. Because if you're taking time to do that, then it means you're not giving your time to do what you need to do. You're being busy and you're doing something, but you're not accomplishing all that you could accomplish. How many would say there's probably some relationships in our lives that they're okay on the outside, but they sure could go a little deeper and they could become more, more productive in our lives and a less stressful? You believe that? I know across this room, every single one of us are in a relationship that does not have to have the same level of stress, does not have, the same le- have to have the same level of strain, that if we would put it in its proper place. You see, sometimes here's what we're doing. We're expecting things out of relationships we should not expect and not putting the proper expectations on relationships we should. You have to take the phone call. You have to be at that meeting. You have to go to that, that resource. You've got to do that thing. You've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do. And all the while, you could let someone else do it. And here's the problem. A workaholic does everything that they got to do but neglect. And here's the role. They do what someone else could do while neglecting the role that no one else could do. Because you could find someone else to go to the meeting. You could find someone else to take the phone call. You could find someone else to take care of that business. You could find, oh, I know they won't do it as good as you. I know it's not as good as you, but you miss what relationships are all about. You could find someone. Here's the problem. You're answering the phone that someone else could answer. You're going to the meeting that someone else could meet at. You're doing the thing that someone else could do, all the while neglecting the relationship and the place that no one else can do that. No one else can love your wife the way you need to. No one else can love your wife the way she needs to be loved. And if you let somebody else, you've opened the door to either an emotional or relational or physical affair that gets in the way and things really get out of order because you've done what someone else could do and neglected what only you could do. When you do what only you can do, and here's why we settle for what someone else could do, because if I'm doing what someone else can do, I get the credit of being the person who does it. I did that. Do you know my kids don't tell me how awesome I am as a father? My kids rarely tell me, Dad, thank you for bringing home a paycheck this week. We have food on the table. I've never sat down at the table, and my kids have said, Dad, you work so hard. You've done so much. Thank you for everything you've done. But when I go to the office and I make a phone call or I take care of something, oh, I got people who tell me, Pastor, you were there right when I needed you. Everything was, you, I really appreciate that sermon, what you did. You made a phone call. You fixed the printer. You fixed the stuff. You did the stuff. And I go over here, and I love, and I love, and I love. And they don't tell me how much they appreciate what I've done. You know why? Because that's what I'm supposed to do, and I trade what I'm supposed to do for what I just want someone else to recognize me for. I've allowed this to be my place of affirmation. I've allowed this to take the place of intimacy. I have settled for fake in the presence of the real. I've allowed real intimacy to be neglected so that I could just have the pat on the back, a little bit of this, a little shot in the arm. Some of us are so addicted to affirmation and so addicted to somebody telling us how good we are when I want to know this, that I'm faithful because I come home to the same wife. I'm faithful because I love my kids in every place, in every moment. I am faithful, not because it feels good, it looks good, it's glamorous, but what God has called you to do is to not stand in a place and get a pat on the back. He's called you to be at a place and hold the fort and to steady the course and to be what God has called us to be we're settling the fake or we're standing in front of the fake and here's the problem we can get so good at it we can get so good at worship 
We can get so good at doing the, the church thing and whatever it might be, and we need to do that. But what's more important, how's your marriage? I want to say it again. If you've not gone to sit down with someone and talk about it, here's, here's the first part I'll tell you. There ought to be an older couple in your life, young married couple. I'm telling you stuff that will set your marriage. If you're about to get married or just recently married in the next five years, you've been married for just five years or less. You find an older couple that you know is grounded in the presence and the word of God, and you sit down with them, and you mentor. You talk to them. You let them speak into your life. You let them get real about the things they've had to learn and walk through because you let them allow them to influence your life. When you let someone speak into your life, you know what you're doing? You're saying to someone, I don't want to just hang out with people who make me feel comfortable. I want to learn how to adjust and change and direct and do what God would want me to do with my life. Some of us are giving attention to the people who don't care as much about us and neglecting the ones who do. It's your job to take care of that spouse. It's your job to take care of that child. It's your job. Have you neglected what only you can do? while you just stand in the line and do what anybody else could do. And challenge yourself because the reason you do is because it sure feels good to have everybody tell you how good you are over here and feel like you just keep having to push through the grind on this end. Push through the grind. Just going through it. Well, don't lose sight of why you're going through it. The reason you're going through it is because God has given you the privilege to have intimacy and realness. This is not real. This, you work for your paycheck. You know what that is? That is a debtor and debt situation. You earn what you do. You do it, you get paid for it. You do it good enough, you'll get affirmation. You know what this is? That's fake. You know why I know that's fake? Take the money away and I'll see how long you stay with them. Take the title, the position, see if, see if all that changes and how long you're going to be there. But over here is real. And instead of allowing God to put us in relationships that make us more real, we'd rather just lean to the ones that allow us to stay where we've always been. This might be a little hard this morning. But if the Holy Spirit has slapped me across the face, why should I be the only one? Tell your neighbor right now, some get real. Get real. Get real. Let, let me just let me give you a couple questions here this morning. Here's what I want you to hear. Worship team's gonna come. We're gonna close. I want you to look at your spectrum. Okay, you've got a spectrum. Over here is your enemy. Raise your hand if you have an enemy. I didn't say if you're sleeping with the enemy or if you're sitting with the enemy. I just raise your hand if you had. Yeah. There's someone who has offended us. There's there's someone who, let's be real, we're not going to be their best friend. But then all the way on the other side, on this other spectrum, is your best friend. If you're married, I hope to God it's your spouse. If, if your best friend is not your spouse, that marriage counseling thing <laughs> really plays a part there, okay? I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Because my concern is we've, we've become a culture where our best friends have become, and, and I get, I get, 
but we have neglected the home. We have put more emphasis outside of the home. Ladies, I'm not saying we should not work outside the house. That's not what I'm saying. Don't at all put words in my mouth. That's not the point. My point is we have neglected the importance of relationships that matter the most. And what we've done is we've, we've created competition. And there's nothing wrong with that. We've always had to deal with that. But I want to give you three questions that we need to ask about every relationship we have, whether it's our enemy or whether it's our best friend and anything in between. You following me? Here's question number one. Question number one is this. What we do, does what we do really matter? Does what we do really matter? In the relationship I have with this person, is what we do, does what we do really matter? Let me ask you and, and ask you, really matter? Not does it matter, does it really matter? In the long run, what importance does this have? The reason that's important to ask the question is how much energy are you giving to stuff that doesn't really matter? How much energy and time and resource are you giving to stuff that really doesn't matter? If you're giving a lot, you're giving the best you have to your job, but giving your leftovers to your family? That's a problem. You don't come home and give your leftovers to your family. I've got to pace myself and know that I've got to give my best where I am. Mine is a pastor. I'm going to give the best I have to being a pastor. But you know what? On Fridays on my day off, I'm giving the best I've got to my wife. I've given the best I've got to this relationship. I'm giving the best that I've got here. You know why? Because this is valuable. That means something to me. I love you, but I don't love you like I love my wife. I'm glad you're there for me, but you're not there for me like my wife is. I'm glad you'll reach out. You've even sent me a text, Tim. You've sent me a text saying, hey, brother, just praying for you. And you've even sent it at times that I needed the encouragement. That's great, but you're not as good as my wife. I mean, there's relationship, but it's not the same. And you know what? I'm not going to give as much time or as much energy to that relationship because this relationship matters. Here's the danger. Some of us are going to really have to stare in the mirror, and this is going to be uncomfortable. But you're giving more energy to your work than you are to your husband or your spouse to your wife, your kids. You're giving more energy in your resources. You're giving more energy in your schedule, in your hobbies, in your stuff that you do. You're putting a lot of energy in that place, but your energy then is leftovers for anybody else, for what really matters. Does what we do really matter? Does what we do really matter? I mean, the relationship we have, Kyle, the, what we do, does it really matter what we do? It really matters. I mean, to the point where, we have a relationship that's developed even more. I know I'm not that old, but you're like a son in the faith to me. And I'm going to give you more time. You know why? Because I know God's got a calling on your life. And when it's time for me to move, I'm going to move to a place, and God's going to put you in position. It's my job to make you ready for what God has for your life. It's my job to invest and impart. And you know what? That takes some time. It takes some spending time together. It takes some hanging out. You know why? Because my investment is not what you do for me. You didn't just give a good ministry. You don't just come along, but it's what God has called me to do in your life. It takes energy. And you know what? I enjoy it. And every time I impart and every time I give, it doesn't take anything from me. It pours right back into me. Because when I watch what God's doing in your life, it builds me up and gives me strength. But we're giving energy to stuff that won't last we're giving energy to stuff that's not going to remain. We're giving energy to stuff that's here today, gone tomorrow. Makes me look good and feel good in the moment. Oh, you better believe it. it. Resources me for a time. What happens when the money runs out? What happens when the position's gone? What happens when the well really dries up and it moves out of town? Literally. Does what we do really matter? Here's number two. The, the, the second question we've got to ask ourselves in relationships what do we have in common? 
What do we really have in common? Because this is the value system. Does this person that I'm spending time with, do they value the stuff that really matters? Do we have the same value system or do they just make me feel good and comfortable? Can I tell you that if you give more energy to relationships that do not push you closer to Jesus, you better be careful about those relationships. You have become a Herod being friends with Pilate because you just make yourself comfortable. You've just settled with Pilate. Are we... We didn't have anything in common before, but now we do. Well, why'd that change all of a sudden? Because they make me feel good. Because they give me what I want. They give me, they, they give me what, I, what I want, and, and I get everything I need from them. What do you really have in common? Your value system. Number three, ask yourself this question about those relationships. What lines have I blurred in order to have this relationship? What lines have I blurred in order to be in this relationship? At this level of the relationship, what lines have I blurred? Notice Herod. Herod is the king of the Jews. And he has now become friends with the enemy of the Jews. How many think there's a political problem here? There's a relational problem. Hey, Herod, you forgot your identity. Do you have a shared identity? Is your identity in Christ? Herod missed the point. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I feel a real deep word, and you know who you are. The Holy Spirit is saying, today's the day you need to realign. You need, you, you've been putting energy and stuff, and things that don't really matter. You got to align today. My in-laws, I have been part of the family now for 23 years. And what 23 years means is that I have learned at my in-laws that if someone's in the shower, you better not turn the water on anywhere else. I've only been in the family for 23 years. Do you know people that are like, hey, you got to wait. We can't do laundry and all this at the same time because, you know, we got to learn how to make this work. And so I'm 23 years in the family, and so I have learned, hey, let that stuff sit. Don't flush it because it's going to mess up. Whoever's up there, that's not going to be worth it. I mean, you just can't do this at the same time. This is a problem. And you know what we've done? We've conditioned ourselves to just function in disorder. It's functional disorder. It's not doing properly and, and doing what it's supposed to do. And it's got this glitch. But hey, let's just make it work even though it doesn't really work. You following me? When all the while, now I'm not a plumber, so please call a real plumber if you want plumber advice. I'm just preaching, and so if this doesn't make sense in any. But here's what I have heard. Is that there is a, a certain amount of water that is brought in, and if the valves, it could be sometimes so simple that you could just lessen the amount of water that goes to the toilet because the problem is when multiple things run, there is a, a, a supply and demand that only so much water comes in or cold water is all together. And anytime that water is diverted to a different place, if too much is used, it will cause it then to be at an out, out of balance. It'll cause it to be a drastic change. And they have said sometimes it's as simple as just lessening the amount of water that goes to certain places. It says that if you reduce, if you reduce the demand and increase the supply, it can make a difference. 
that if you reduce the demand and increase the supply, some of your relationships are under stress and unnecessary stress. Unnecessary. Because you need to shut the valve off on some demands in your life. You need to turn off how much demand goes. And you need to turn up the supply. If you're in a place and you feel like, I can't take it anymore. I'm out of this. I can't take the pressure. It might be that you forgot to let the source come in and give you strength. If you feel like so much of this is going out in life and your prayer life is only this big, I'm telling you your first problem right now is that you've diminished your time with the source and lost the ability to have what you need to give to the demands. Your sources, you've cut it off. You've got a kink in the line. I've, I've watered or washed the car and had the hose going and all of a sudden that hose would just, nothing coming out. Buy a new hose. Somebody fix this. What is wrong? You know what's wrong? We've got a kink in the line. The source coming in. I want you to know today, there might be your first part with your, with your relationships could be this, that you've cut off the supply that needs to come in. You've cut off the supply. And the other side is you've given too much demand in places you don't need to. You follow me this morning? Somebody just raise your hand if this makes sense this morning. Raise your hand if you just want me to shut up so we can go home. I understand. I understand. Listen, your supply and demand is out of balance. I can't tell you what it looks like for you, but I could probably say to all of us, we could use a little realignment. Some valves being shut and some being open. All of us at some place in our lives, there's some areas that we need to shut off and some things we need to open. And the first place is this, the supply that is the God giving, or the, the God, the Holy Spirit that gives us life, that gives us power, that gives His presence. You better open that one up full. You better let the presence of God, you better let the promises of God, you better let the words of God come in, the truth of God's word. Because if you don't, how many know there's a lot of demands out there? Let me end with this. If you're doing what someone else can do, then you're settling for functional disorder. If you're doing what someone else can do and neglecting what only you can do, you're settling for functional disorder. Everything looks good on the outside. Everything looks good on the outside. And I don't want to deal with what's on the inside, so I'd rather just hang out with Pilate because Pilate gets me. Pilate's got dysfunction like I've got dysfunction. He gets me. His marriage is a mess like mine's a mess. He gets me. So rather than having to deal with anything, we can just talk about things. We can just talk about how much it's a pain. We can just talk about how much we don't like it. We can just talk about how stressful it is. We can just talk about how, how bothersome it is. We can just talk about, and how many know that there's some people we ought to have in our lives who ought to be people praying with us, but instead we've settled to just have people complain with us. I'm sorry, got a little too real. God, forgive me. I, Lord, forgive me for preaching. I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. How's your prayer life? How's your, how's your time in the Word? Because you may have shut off the source. And no wonder you can't take the pressure. No wonder you don't have anything to give. No wonder you're worn out. Because coupled with not having the right supply coming in, you're putting yourself out in places you're not supposed to. You're giving your time and too much time and energy and things that someone else could do. And giving everything you've got there, but don't have enough left over here. I'm so tired. I'm so wore out. I don't have time to talk today. I need to have seclusion. I need to be away. I need to 
Listen, I totally get it. Jesus had moments where he tried to get away. But how many know even when he tried to get away, it didn't work that well? There are times and places. So here's what I want to say to you today. If it looks good on the outside, that's not enough. It's got to get real. God, help me to invest where I need to invest. And help me to open up the supply that needs to come in. Amen? How many would say today with me, you say, Jason, I need, I could stand opening the supply a little more. The supply line, I need to open it up a little more. I need to allow a little more of the supply to come in. If that's you today, just raise your hand right where you are. Yep. I'm not showing you how to raise your hand. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but here's the other side of that. You'd say, Jason, there's some areas I need to close the demands on. There's some things I've allowed myself to be given in places and I've not put proper boundaries. I've blurred the lines. I've blurred the lines of relationships. I've blurred the lines of of proper uh, relationships and doing things in a way that's God-honoring. Can I tell you, if you know you've blurred the lines, what do you have to hide and who are you hiding from? I'll just leave it at that. You've blurred the lines when you have to hide and who you're hiding it from. If you have to hide something and whoever you're hiding it from, you've blurred the lines. I believe this is conviction because there's some people in their offices, you got to quit getting as close as you've been getting to that conversation with that other person on the opposite side of the gender. You've allowed some relationships to be out of line. You've allowed yourself to get cozy because that person in the office understands you and knows you. They don't treat you and appreciate you like the husband does or, or, or your husband doesn't appreciate you like they do in the office. They don't know you the same way, number one. And number two, if you don't fix that one, this one's just going to add to your burden anyway. If you don't fix that, you're just going to complicate the matter in the process. say amen and we're going to sing Lord pour out your spirit amen come on stand all across this room today I I want you to do this say God I I just want a cleansing Lord I want your Holy Spirit cleanse me I want a fresh start